Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, October 15th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Deuteronomy 517, a message titled, The Ten Commandments, An Invitation to Safety. series on the Ten Commandments, and today we come to the Sixth Commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. This is an invitation to safety. The Lord says in the Sixth Commandment, verse 17, you shall not kill. That means you shall not murder. Short command, just two words in the Hebrew, but it comes with a long explanation. What does this really mean and how do we apply this to our life and our society? For example, the Lord says here, do not kill, but a few chapters after this, Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says, I kill and I make alive. Does God violate his own commandments? He says, do not kill, but then he says, I kill. When the Israelites went to war in the Old Testament according to God's word, his direction, and they killed their enemies, were they violating the sixth commandment? When we ourselves today as New Testament Christians, when we defend ourselves and when um, tragically sometimes we're put in a place where we have to make a difficult decision and to save life or protect the innocent, we might have to kill. Are we violating this commandment that God gives in his word? I mean, this is God sharing his nature with us. He says, I am the Lord your God, and here are the things I command you. He's saying, this is the way I think, this is the way I act, this is the way I am. And I'm inviting you into the way that I live. I'm inviting you into my safety. And is he being inconsistent with what we see here in Scripture? These are very real questions that come up as we study this. And as we look at the main points of this commandment, we get the answers that we need. The outline before you this morning has three simple points. We'll look at the principle behind the commandment. We'll look at the persons who violate the commandment, who are against the commandment. And then the price that's required because this commandment has been violated. As we look at each of these three simple points, uh, we'll, we'll find truth from Scripture that will answer all these questions that we've just raised. And we'll see it very clearly that God does have a safe commandment here. He wants us to observe and to, to keep and it will bring safety to our life and safety to the world. That's what he wants. So number one, let's look at the principle behind the commandment. The outline is on the back of your bulletin. It will also be on the screen. There will be some blanks to, to fill in in just a moment. 
But the, the principle behind the commandment simply stated as God is the God of life and he regards all life as sacred. He desires all life to be protected and for safety to be experienced. God dwells in safety and provides safety for his creatures. And this is clear all through scripture. For example, Psalm 4.8 the psalmist says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is my strong tower. The righteous run into it, and there they're safe. Proverbs says that whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so the Lord is safe. The Lord's not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering what in the world he's going to do with this troubled earth down below. He's not worried that someone's going to come and take over heaven, that evil's going to win. No, he knows in absolute peace and confidence that he's in control and he's working out his plan and his, his plan will end in victory. And so he's in safety. And he's wanting to share that with all of us through his commandments. Well, if this is true, if God is a God of safety and he's in control, then why is this world such a dangerous place? Well, in short, the answer is because sin entered into this world and sin brought death and killing. We did it. Mankind fell into sin and despite God's warning, despite God giving man all that he needed, mankind chose to reject God and his truth and to sin. And the moment he did, the, God said, and it's recorded in the scripture, the moment that you, that you sin, in that moment you'll die. And we died on the inside. Our spirit died. And then, gradually, everything on the outside began to die. And the world became a cemetery. The world became a place in which the moment we come in, we begin to die. But here's the grace of God. When the, the world fell into sin and became a, a death trap, God did not turn his, turn his back on the world and say, I'm not going to fool with that mess. No, he pursued the world. He pursued mankind. And he came calling. And the Bible says that he came heart after heart, life after life, began to bring his peace by his grace into human hearts. And so he's committed to bring his safety into our lives, into our world. But um, the question still remains, you know, is he inconsistent with how he acts? The Bible says that he brought his son into the world. He participated in the killing of his son. Does that violate the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. And when you understand really what God's saying here in verse 17, you see absolutely it does not violate God's standard and God's nature. God is right and just in all that he does and pure and righteous. And he is completely consistent as we understand what this really says. You see, the word that's used here in verse 17, you shall not kill, as translated in the King James Version, really is the word murder. It's rightfully translated in other translations, you shall not murder, because that's the ideal behind the word. The Hebrew word is the word rasak, and it always is used in the context of taking life 
in an unjust way, with evil intent, to murder, to slay someone else, as Cain did his brother Abel. And so in verse 17, it says, You shall not rasak, you shall not murder. But in the verses where God says, I kill, I bring people to death, and I make alive, it's a different word. It's a general word that means to bring someone to death. And it's a word in context that does not have unjust motives involved in it. In fact, it's just the opposite. When that word is used and when that experience is seen, it's done in ways that preserves human life. It's done in ways that protects innocent and defends those who need to be defended. It's done to deter evil. And so when the Lord says, I kill and I make alive, he's saying, I do what is, what is necessary at times to preserve human life that's going astray, that's trying to kill itself. I step in from time to time and I do what's necessary in a just way, in a holy way for a grace purpose. Because God does have to step in from time to time to keep us from taking everything down, right? That's what happened at the flood. At the time of the flood, the world was destroying itself. And God had to step in to stop it. And he did. And it was just one family that was preserved. The ark had much more room to receive many more than just one family, but only one came. But God used that to preserve life. So as you look at this principle, and I've got this in the notes, there are certain grace exceptions to the sixth commandment. That there are times in which we, we must take difficult measures. That there might need to be the taking of a life out of grace for certain holy purposes. And I've listed them here for you because they're listed in Scripture, and we've got to be very clear about this. But on the other hand, we must never and should never take life in an unjust way with evil intent. That's murder, and that's always prohibited. But there are certain grace exceptions where it is justified and God condones it, where life might be taken for this purpose. What are they? Number one, it is to save human life. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. After Noah stepped off the ark, God gave him instructions, and one of those instructions was in verse 5, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. But as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. So it's clear God wants life to be multiplied. He wants life to, to flourish. But when there begins to be murder, the taking of someone's life unjustly. God said it is right and it's acceptable for you to step in in that situation to preserve life in the whole, to take someone's life. This is capital punishment and it's condoned in the Bible. It's out of favor today in popular culture 
It's regarded as hypocrisy because they look at the Bible and they say, the sixth commandment says do not kill, but then you put someone in the electric chair. That's inconsistent, they say. But they don't understand the difference. One is the taking of life without a just cause. That's murder. The other is to do it only as a last resort when it's necessary to save and preserve human life. That's the principle. It's a grace exception. A second one is to protect the innocent and defenseless. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 6, the Lord himself says that um, that's better for for those that would offend one of my little ones that a millstone be hanged around their neck and they be drowned in the sea. That's a killing. (laughs) And the Lord said it's better that if my little ones are being abused and being killed, it's better that the offender be the one who is drowned in the sea. That's to protect the innocent and defenseless. And this is why the Lord, uh, before he went to the cross, he said, um, whoever doesn't have swords, let him get them. And they said, Lord, we have two. And he said, that's enough. What he meant by that was, that's what you need for protection and defense. He was not about mobilizing an army, and we as Christians are not righteous warriors. We're not fighting a holy war. But it is right and just for us to take up arms at times to protect human life or to save and protect the innocent. So the Lord said, it's enough. you got two swords. That's good for protection and defense. And it's right that you do it. And it is this exception that he gives us here to the sixth commandment. A third one, you hunters will like this. It is to provide necessary food. All right. After Noah came off the ark and had all those animals on the ark with him, he was also told that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Doesn't that sound good? Everything's on the menu. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Well, if everything's on the menu, then, then why did God later in the law restrict them so much and say you can eat this, you can't eat that? It's because he was trying to test them. He was trying to show them that in, in obeying his commandments, because of our sin, the weakness of our flesh, we can't even eat the right things. We fail that test. But living creatures, all living creatures that God has made, are good in and of themselves. That's why he told Noah, it's all fair game. It's all on the menu now. But it was in the context of getting it for food. So it was the right purpose there. Then finally it is to deter and defeat evil. Evil goes in that last blank. Paul told us in Romans chapter 13 verse 4 that uh, government officials do not bear the sword in vain, but they are an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so it is right for police officers, safety officers, governmental officials, military at times when it's necessary to take action and to take life if it is to deter and defeat evil. 
Israel has amassed a, a mighty army on the border of the neighboring area that harbors terrorists who recently inflicted a terrible terrorist attack upon many, many innocent people. And they're about to go in and take over. They're God's people. Are they wrong to go in? It's going to require killing. And it's going to require a lot more killing than most people have a stomach for. Because these are ruthless, evil terrorists. And they're hunkered down. Is it wrong what they're doing? The world's crying out. On college campuses, on news medias, they're crying out condemning Israel for even thinking such a thing. And how dare they could do that and be so unkind and so unloving to this little bitty group of people over here. Well, they're going in to deter and defeat evil. And so they have a righteous purpose. And they're not violating this commandment. And God's going to be with them, I believe. And God is going to show himself as a God who still cares for Israel. And we should never seek to overcome evil with evil. The Bible says that very clearly. We're to overcome evil with good. And so even if we have to take strong measures, we always stay humble and yielded to the God of righteousness every step of the way, and we only do what we're supposed to do. But there is a principle here in the Scripture that we can take up arms if it's necessary. It's the just war principle, and it's been uh, followed by our nation's leaders um, for most of our history, and even other empires before that. And it simply says that, that war is justified if it is waged as a last resort at the command of proper authority for a just cause with the intent to promote good and destroy evil. That will be the basis for any kind of war and battle. That's why in the Old Testament, when Israel was told to go in and take the land, that they did have to fight. And they were not being unkind and cruel. They were going in to destroy evil. And God told them to. And that evil would have destroyed everybody else around it, them included, if they would not have taken that difficult step. So that's why when you look at the Bible and you see all the killing there, it's not inconsistent with God's commands if it's done for a just cause, according to these principles. So we ought to pray for Israel. We're going to pray for all of those who are in harm's way right now. They have to take the difficult step to take up arms and to do what's necessary. That God would be with them and that God would defend them. So this is the principle behind the commandment. I told you it had a long explanation. All right. But then let, let's continue on and let's look at these other principle, these other points because it helps to kind of bring it all into clear focus. Because there are some persons who are against the commandment. They are violating the command. And they need to repent of that sin. And they need to get in line with God's commands. Who are these individuals? Well, number one, it is Satan, who is the mastermind of murder. Now, Satan's not going to change, but he is the one. We need to clearly understand this. Satan is the one who is behind all murder. John 8, 44, Jesus says that he was a murderer from the beginning. So in the beginning, the world fell into sin. Jesus said, Satan's the one 
who had a hand in that. So you got Adam and Eve there in the garden, and they died spiritually. They're not laying there with a pitchfork in their back, right? That's not how Satan did it. What did he do? He came in with his words. He came in with his false teaching. And he caused them to go astray. And by doing that, Jesus said he murdered. Without even lifting a hand, he shared some words. He impacted a heart and he murdered. And that's helpful to understand because we're going to see in just a moment that not all murderers are those who have picked up a knife or shot a gun. And we need to understand this. But Satan is the one who's behind it all, stirring up the world, trying to get them to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's about. Who else are against this commandment? Well, evildoers, the Bible says. 1 John 3, 12 as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. So there are those evildoers out there that are so depraved and, and so given over to their sin that they are looking to kill other people, to murder them. And we always need to be on the guard against those who would come and try to take life with unjust reasons. And we should never be found in that group. But then, thirdly, notice that the Bible talks about another group who are the agents of murder. That is, they, they carry the seed of murder in their heart. And the Bible identifies that as you and me, all sinners. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 has some sobering words for all of us. It says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. See, he's, the Bible's saying that Whoever hates his brother without a cause, with an unjust cause, with evil intent, saying the words just like Satan did, to try to get at them and try to destroy them, that person has the same kind of murderous heart as Cain did and as Satan does. Have you ever said the words? I wish they'd never been born. Because you were upset. You were mad. You had hatred in your heart toward a brother, sister, a neighbor. You're uttering murderous words. That's what the Bible's teaching us. Is that sin has so corrupted us that the seeds of murder, it's in our heart as sinners. And if we wish for someone else to be gone, what we're saying is, I want them, their life taken away for an unjust reason, with evil intent. The Bible calls that murder. Kids were being taught the Ten Commandments in Sunday school, and a teacher was covering them and covered the Fifth Commandment, how it teaches us how to honor our father and mother. And then she said, is there a commandment in the list that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And one little boy didn't miss a beat. He spoke up and he said, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> Does that bring back some memories? Not getting along? You see, we all have fallen into this sinful trap of not being like God, of falling short of His glory, of wanting to get back at someone else, take it into our own hands. 
You see, we've all broken these commandments, every one of them. And the only way that we can come to God, and the only way that we can get to heaven is not through our own works of righteousness, but it's by His grace and His grace alone. We're murderers at heart. We may have never picked up a knife or a gun, but in our heart, just with our thoughts, we've done it. And we need to repent of it. That's the only way that we can be right with God is we repent of our sin and understand that there's nothing within us that can be righteous before God. And we completely need God's grace through His Son. And that's why the price was paid. The third point is the price because of the commandment. Because we have all sinned, because we have all embraced death, there had to be a high price to be paid. This sixth commandment was broken by all, and because of that, the Bible says that God sent His Son to die for the sins of the world. God commended His love toward us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet murderers, God sent His Son into the world to die for us. God participated in the killing of His Son. It wasn't murder. It was a, a loving sacrifice on our behalf. It was a sacrifice so that we could live, so that human life would be preserved, and that this world one day will be saved and we'll be brought into complete peace and safety. That's why He did it. That's the price that had to be paid. And you think about it. Heaven was forever changed because God sent His Son into the world. There was a time that Jesus limited himself. Having dwelt with the Father and the angels and, and everything else that's there in heaven from eternity past, Jesus left all of that. And he limited himself to a body that would be on this earth for a space of time. And while he was here, he was not in heaven. Now his spirit was still in tune with the Father. He said, the Father is always with me. But in his incarnation, he was limited to this earth. Heaven changed. The presence of the Son of God was not there like it was. And the Father had to give the Son and had to be willing to let the Son go. And it changed their fellowship, their connection. In one aspect, so that we could be saved. And there was a great sacrifice by the Lord. Hebrews 2.9 says that He tasted death for every one. And you think about it. For Him to take on the sin of the world means He, he took on all of the iniquity of us all. All the murderous thoughts. All of the sinful actions. All the iniquities. All was poured upon Him who knew no sin. And he had to take that and pay an eternal price for it. We think of the cross as this uh, a few hours here in this, this time frame. And it was. But in the eternal dimension where the Father lives and where the Son's Spirit was, it was him paying an eternal price. To him, he was paying what every sinner should pay, an eternal punishment before God. And to him it felt like and it seemed like 
in eternity. That's what he was bearing. That's what he was taking on for you and me because the sixth commandment had been violated. And when there's a killing in that way, a violation, there must be the death of someone to atone. And he paid that price for you and me. What a Savior we have. He does more than just invite us. He, he paves the way. He allows everything to be done for us so that we can come to him. John Currier was found guilty of murder in 1949, and he was sentenced to, to life in prison. Later, he was paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. Supposed to be in prison for life, but in 1968, Currier's sentence was terminated. That's the grace of God. And a letter bearing the good news was sent to him. But John never saw the letter, nor was he told anything about it. Ten years went by. Then a state parole officer learned about Courier's plight, found him, and told him that his sentence had been terminated, that he was a free man. I think in some ways, many people out in this world, just like John, Christ has set them free. Christ has done everything necessary so that their sin is covered and they can go free, but they don't realize it. Some have never been told, and as Christians, we need to be about the business of telling and taking the message to the world who needs it. But even some who have been told and who have heard the gospel still don't know freedom. Why is that? Because they've not really understood everything Christ has done for them. They may still be trying to do it themselves. They still be trying to work to get out. They're still living in a prison trying to do it themselves. But the letter says you're free. That the price has been paid. The punishment's over. Through Christ, once you trust Him and come to Him completely, not holding anything back, you are set free. And having been set free now, you have freedom and safety and peace. You see, this is why we don't need to get all disturbed because the world's going crazy out there. It's because God now has brought peace into our life. He has changed our spirit. We have now an immortal spirit that will live forever. We have a superman spirit. The world cannot kill us. Jesus said they may kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. We're going to live forever with him. And there's not anything the world can do to change it. That's why we need to stand boldly without fear, with his power and with his grace, and take this message to the Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.